Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah, I reckon 30 times. That's a hell of a lot. That's a lot. So this has to be the best. This has to be the culmination of everything we've ever spoke about. I'll sit up. Yeah. So I might do, do all that for nothing. There we go. Cool. <laughs> and we've interviewed for TV, for print, for online, for radio, for obviously the documentary that we've been working on, and now for podcast. Well, so often so, I don't know when it, what it is right. that we're doing. Are, are we live? Is it on? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, <laughs> like if we're doing, it's it's either for a magazine or or it's for online or, or what it is. Mm-hmm. I just assume that it's it's being something other than a conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I like to try and just sort of when I call you, just mm-hmm. go straight into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I wanted to just sort of set it up this way this time is because interviewing is for me the main reason why I do this job yep. still to this day my main drive yep. and the reason I think I fell in love with the long form interview was because of you straight up the first time we did an interview was over the phone and I think I just caught you in a perfect moment because you were just very elevated yep. and we just connected straight away so much that I was like right when you're on tour let's get you in the studio and yep. let's do a full on takeover show that was the first time I'd ever done anything like that traditionally because coming from a radio background you're taught to kind of keep all interviews to three minutes at the most Right. And that's it. Yep. And I thought, well, now I'm going to change that up. With you was the first time I'd had the chance to explore that. Wow. And after that was when it all sort of, you know, developed and began to evolve. But you were, if you like, the acorn from which 
the acorn. This whole mighty tree has grown. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's um, which is in no means a reflection on your manhood. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's 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 pretty cool. I mean, I remember. I think the first conversation was probably when we were doing uh, when we do those press tours. Yeah. Where we just go around and literally, it's just you wake up in the morning, you got a drink in your hand, and that's kind of what you do. You kind of drink the whole day through, mm. and then you, you know you have a Red Bull here or there to keep yourself up. You know, to to do the next bunch of the the, the back half of the day. But basically, that's that's um, that's so I was elevated because I was probably a bit pissed. But I mean, that's the best way to do them because you just you just let it all out. Yeah, you tell it. So it's probably that probably helped too. Yeah, and probably I, lubricated the wheels <laughs> for the the long form. I think knowing you the way I do now, when you're on tour, you're so like today, so specifically focused on the show and delivering to the people who bought the ticket the best experience yep. every single day that doesn't stop that's never you know too far from the forefront of your brain 24 yep. 7 obviously when you're writing an album you go into like crazy scientist rain man mode and you know you're fully <laughs> yeah. immersed we're distorting that mic just sorry man i don't want to stop you but too, I've had, hey 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 see what that when it does that uh-huh. flicks it's i had this recorder okay maybe yeah. just move back to where i am so yeah that'll work yeah. hey hey yeah i mean see yeah. even even there's pretty good we can do the old classic soft knee as well, which uh, sort of levels it all out on a daily oh, audition. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Edit well, geeks just... out there. Yeah. Um, so I think for you, the press trip side of things must be the only time really when you just sort of you feel like you've got no responsibility. It's exactly like that. There's no show to worry about. You know, there's there's uh, you know, and that's all we actually. That's all I really worry about is you know is the, is the gig, the show, yep. making sure we're 100 percent on. So, but when you're doing a press thing, you don't care if you blow your voice out, you know, talking 14 hours a day, then going out to the pub and then, you know, then, oh, you got tickets to status quo. So then we go to that. Yeah, yeah. And then you sort of have a big night. Then you wake up, you get about three hours sleep. You get up the next day at eight in the morning and then you do it all again. It's a different mentality because you don't have to give 110% at some point that night. So it's, it's a lot different. And it's it's a lot of fun too. It's so you so it, it is. You need two different mindsets because you you don't want. And then when you do an interview, when you you know when you're doing a show, you know you don't want to be scientific rain man either. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you want to be. You want at least you know be you able to unleash the beast. Yeah, you know, at least you know give people some some uh, something exciting or some info to to, to, to hear about. Yeah, man. Um, tell me about if one story comes to mind, just the wildest promo day or night out has there been one time when um you're like this is work what yeah well there was <laughs> and the status quo thing i actually remember that it was the black dog barking album cycle yep. wasn't it and you scooted off with the treatment boys yep to that gig i remember that they actually did do that yep. ladies and gentlemen <laughs> that was it was a lot of fun and i think we were doing a pub crawl or something right that was part of the interview that was part of the press at the back part of the day was to do this pub crawl and it was basically to go to pubs i think and then I don't know what we were talking about. I think we just answered questions in a pub, and then that was it. Right. I don't think it wasn't even testing beers or anything. It was and just... please tell me it was for a magazine as well, which makes the whole idea kind of pointless. <laughs> yeah. like, we're going to well, do the interview in a pub, and then we're going to write his answers in print and not refer to the pub. Uh, yeah, well... <laughs> You're like, okay, it sounds great, as long as there's a pub. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> that, that's so what they said, all right, we're going to go to these pubs. How do they... You know, what do you reckon? We said, great, we'll start at this one, then we walk around to this one, and end up being... There was supposed to be like five or six we were meant to go to. We ended up going to two because we went to one and that was kind of a bit stiff. And then we went to the second one. They had a jukebox. I filled it full of ACDC and Black Sabbath and you know Metallica and 
and roast that and then filled it full of rock and roll. And then we ended up going, look, well, let's just do all the interviews here. We can stay in this pub. You know, they've got good Guinness and um, I've got the tunes. You know, I've got, I've got 40 pounds worth of tunes coming. Like, <laughs> we're good here. Like, we're good for a few hours at least. Yeah. And then, um, so we got the pub rocking and then we were trying to do the interviews, I think, and we had to yell into the microphone. And then eventually, I think it was, I was actually filmed. Right. Okay. Part of it was filmed. And then... Um, I don't remember much of it because because of what happened afterwards, which is I, I called um, called our agent and he and he hooked us up with some status quo tickets that night because we found out through one of the interviews that the quo were playing over at Wembley and they were actually shooting a video that night. You can actually get the the Blu-ray, the DVD, or whatever. Right, right. And um, do you make an appearance? No, I mean I'm in the crowd. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, you're with, in there with with one twenty thousand other yeah, people. with one pint in each hand. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we literally like we did those interviews and then we at the pub and then we went oh gee we got these tickets and um, so we just jumped in a black cab and hightailed it across London straight into Wembley just as the band went on stage and it was just rocking from you know start to finish and it was the it was the awesome foursome or something it was like the four yeah 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 the return of the four original members yeah. and um, and then after that yeah we uh, the we, frantic four was it yeah the frantic yeah. four yeah. And I even got a T-shirt. Oh, uh, it's at home somewhere. And uh, and then uh, yeah, then later on we ended up in the after party. And then um, yeah, the treatment guys were there. Yeah. And because uh, they were supporting. Right. And then the quo, uh, they were supporting them. Yeah. Nice. Yep. And then um, I ended up going outside the venue for some reason. I think I walked out the wrong door, and I th- thinking it was you know uh, somewhere to go take a slash. And then, um, and then the door shut behind me, and I was like, "Oh, I'm outside. I'm in, like out of the arena." So then I tried to go back in, and all the doors to Wembley were shut. So I literally <laughs> just walked up and kicked the door, and it just opened. I was like, "Oh, great! I'm back in." How easy was that? I know, like, well, you know, that's how easy it is to, to get into Wembley. Bloody hell, you know. Um, so but, if you're listening to this, maybe try that at some point, but uh, you didn't hear it here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that that was one of those times when you go. Wow, that was work. Yeah, you know, so that, that and, that, and you can't do that when you got a show on that night. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, all that extra stuff. You can't. You got to be on stage. You got to be a hundred percent. You got to give the crowd their money's worth and more, and make them go away thinking, you know, that was the I've had the best time. I forgot about the whole world and all the bullshit in, in you know in my own world as well. And I've just gone and seen a band, a rock and roll band, play, and for an hour and thirty minutes or whatever, of I've just had a great time, a big time. Do you ever feel, to kind of jump off the back of that into this, do you ever feel like people see you as a one-dimensional character? Because a lot of what most people see of you is smashing beer cans on your head, running around on stage like a wild man. Yep. They obviously don't see the eight hours in the lead-up to that show of you being focused and you know running around all the hard work that goes into it and you know just the actual intelligent conversation that comes out of your mouth when you're not <laughs> in you know, in sight, in chaos. Uh, do you yeah. ever feel like people see you as the sort of, the rock and roll Joel and only that? Or does oh. that not really bother you because you signed up for that? Oh, I, yeah, it doesn't bother me. If that's how it is. I've never really thought about what people, what people think. I've been like that since I was in school. I, I mean, I was the only kid with long hair. Uh, I used to be made fun of for having long hair. And then, you know, I'd, in, in lunchtime, you know, I'd have my, my headphones in my ears on my Walkman. My cassette Walkman showing his age. Yeah, <laughs> and I, you know, this is, you know, in when I was twelve years old, thirteen years old, and I would be just, 
I'd just be in my own world, just doing the Angus stuff, walking around the football oval, because <laughs> just loving shot down in flames and loving, <laughs> loving ACDC. And and you know, I used to take Motorhead to school at a mixtape. Yeah, I made a mixtape of Motorhead and ACDC and, and Black Sabbath and um, and even Warrant. And uh, yeah, I had, I had a good mix going. I had a, quite a few mixtapes, and I used to take them to school. And rather than you know play sport or or anything else really, or socialize, or socialize straight up. So you were quite a sort of a, a loner for want of a better. Pretty way. much a drifter, a kind right. of a loner and a, a walkabout. Uh, it's it's a very Australian term to go walkabout where you uh-huh, just go yeah, off. Yeah. Yeah. And I do it when I'm on tour. I go for mega long walks just for like you know four or five hours. It's great now when you got Google Map because you can find your way back to the bus. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't used to be like that. Um, <laughs> like you know when you go to Scandinavia, the sun doesn't set. Uh huh. I went for a walk one day and um, I just kept walking, thinking the sun was still going down. I didn't have, I didn't have a phone on me. I just didn't bother taking one. I was just like. Oh, and when don't... you're in that head space, you totally lose concept of time, don't you? Yeah, and I didn't have a watch, so I'm like, oh, the sun hasn't gone down yet. It's all good. I'll keep walking, just walking. I found like a, a old torn down factory where it was just a big chimney and it had a it had a ladder. And I went up to, I was going to climb it, and then the ladder kind of rusty and the bottom rung sort of snapped off a bit. And I was like, maybe, <laughs> yeah, I better leave that. Maybe leave that to the lighting rigs, you know. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. I just, you know, I went for the, this mega, mega walk. And once again, headphones, iPod. So we've gone up from the Walkman. And I was gone for eight hours thinking that, you know, the sun hadn't set. Like I thought, oh, I'll get home for dinner, you know, like, and then. So you didn't have a show that night? No, luckily. Thank God. Imagine yeah. that. Yeah, it was a festival. <laughs> right. And uh, we played. We played in the day and then. Yeah. And then yeah. I'd gone back to the hotel and then went for this big mega walk. And then basically, you know, eight hours later, I came home at 4 a.m. in the morning and the sun was still up. And I was like, oh, shit, we're going to be at the hotel at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> like, uh, so that's going walk about. And, and that's still from being in school. But I was in school. I just loved rock and roll. And at what age did you become aware of it and just go, you know, head over heels, falling in love, straight down the rabbit hole? Nineteen ninety. Okay. So Nin- you were how old then? Like five, six? Yeah, about about six. It would have been I would have been six years old. So maybe maybe not nineteen ninety. Maybe like eighty nine. Right. It was somewhere around there. Cause so this I, is before grunge as well, which obviously had a. Yeah. Did that have the same seismic impact on music in Australia as it did it, in the UK and the US? It. I don't know. I, was, I didn't have any older brothers or anyone to talk to to notice it. Right. And it wasn't like there was an internet or anything. It was just... But you didn't notice, say, Nirvana t-shirts everywhere at school overnight? No, I remember... I remember um, uh, in Warnable, it was... Uh, you know, you read the, the Metallica fans or the Guns N' Roses fans. Because remember what happened on that tour where it was kind of like Metallica and Guns N' Roses went on that world tour and then the riot happened and, you know, James had burned his arm and then Gun- Gunners pulled the show short... Well, Axel or something. Something happened between them now, which I believe is all patched up now. But so, but that resonated through fans. And and in um, in primary school, I remember I was just the ACDC kid. I loved ACDC and I loved Metallica. I loved um because uh, Inner Sandman had just come out the video. Yeah, right? yeah. So it was hard to even get the albums back then. So, so, uh, and there was the Guns N' Roses camp, and then there was the, the, the Metallica camp, but the, the Guns N' Roses camp was one kid. The Metallica camp was, was, was my cousin Danny. Who, who, who <laughs> was president, yeah. Yeah, president of that, you know, and I was just in the middle with ACDC and Black Sabbath. Um, so there wasn't a lot of kids getting into it. So, um, so you were out of step from a young age? Yeah, so at the age of five or six, I was like that. And in school... I would always get my parents called in to say, hey, look, we need to talk to you about 
you know, parent-teacher day. Mm-hmm. Joel uh, has, has problems with paying attention in every single class. He just doesn't seem interested. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and that was true, right? You weren't. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't. I was just. I was just fascinated with rock and roll and the sound of a guitar and the sound of a band and 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 these songs that you hear and you, and the way it makes you feel. I didn't even know what I was listening to. I just knew it sounded good, and I liked it more than anything else than than, than sport than or, girls even academics. Um, I guess when you're six, they're not really on your mind. But say, oh, as, no, I, say I, as you hit the teen years, did girls sort of become present in your life, or were you still just like I'm a rock and roller? That's uh, more important. No, I was. <laughs> I um, I um, I, I I never had any that much luck with them. I never because I was I was a I was a complete weirdo. Right. So I mean, I tried. Yeah. And and got shot down in flames every single time. I'd right. send notes in class. Right, right. Only to get be laughed at. Even one time in primary school, my note. Was, I was passed it back to the girl that I wanted to get it to, but the teacher took it and read it out. And read it out. And this is like I'm in grade. That's four. some cold shit when they do. Grade that, isn't four. It? I was in grade four, and like, and I just you want the earth I took to just it. open up and swallow you, don't yeah. you? Mortified. But, but then, um, and I hadn't, I hadn't heard "Shot Down in Flames" at that point, the song. Right. But when I did, it really resonated big time because I was like, I know what Bond's talking about. I've been shot down in flames with every single chick i've ever tried to hit on in in primary school and secondary school and and so um that that was something pretty big and now this is a song that came out in 1979 yeah so i'm now you know this is 2000 and whatever the fuck it was and um and so i'm like that's that's really cool so when you say nirvana to get back to what you said when that came out and it sort of blew up it might have for the the generation well the the kids that were just into anything new but for me, I didn't really notice it. I remember, I remember Teen Spirit, but I loved ACDC and Metallica a whole lot more. And to the point where, you know, we'd have the school dead ball thing. Yeah. Someone had put the heavy song on, which would be Nirvana. And I'd knowingly, just because I had a big stereo at home that, that mum and dad didn't want anymore and just been playing around with wires, knew how to plug in the left and right cable to put ACDC back on. And do things like that. So big takeover, hijack. I even hijacked the um, the school <laughs> microphone that announces the entire campus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And played ACDC through it. Amazing. That's like something out of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, all I wanted was rock and roll in everyone's life at school, and because I was like, you gotta, you gotta hear this shit. It's it's amazing. I know it's not like the coolest thing because it's twenty years old, thirty years old now, but you should hear it. And um, so that's kind of how I was. So yeah, I was a I was a weird sort of loner dude that just only loved rock and roll, basically. And what about Ryan and his role in all of this? Was he sort of always there with you as you know brothers in arms? Were you discovering a lot of this stuff together, or was it more your trip because of that couple of year difference? Obviously, makes a big difference at that age, doesn't it? Well, I mean, it rubbed off on him pretty much straight away, anyway. Right. So like um. You know, but he found his own. Like so, I was in ACDC, and he heard all that Metallica, and but then he he really got into Iron Maiden, um, and we both got into Judas Priest, um, and then so he actually went off, and he was the first person in Australia. Ryan was the first person to buy Iron Maiden merch online in the whole of the, on a dial-up modem in the whole country. Yep, because oh. he's always been a computer geek. He's yep. always had that down. So dial-up modem, like dial-up modem, bought the the original red Iron Maiden shirt because mm-hmm. they were selling that. He bought Iron Maiden golf balls. <laughs> he bought the um, 
the I think it was a Wicker Man T-shirt and a bunch of other stuff because no one had ever done anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Like so, like he was really, he really is in mega into Iron Maiden. So um, uh, we both, you know, love love rock and roll, but both went off. Uh, like so, he went that way, and then I kind of went this way. But we were always together on Motorhead and ACDC and, and stuff like that. But yeah, when I was a kid, it was just I heard one song. It was the first song it was Boogie. Um, and it was by um, the Atlantic Rhythm Section. It's just great, and, and, the, and the, the lyrics are: "I was horny, horny as hell." So I went down to the grill, and being a kid, I didn't know what they were talking about. I thought, "Horny, what? Like a devil?" Like I didn't know. I was like five years old, and then once I worked it out, I um, I kind of you know thought, "Oh, that's right, rock and roll." And then once I discovered the blues and what they were singing about. You know, and then the whole shot down in flames thing, kind of like made my life made sense as a kid. So, like, well, that's I've got I'm got to play rock and roll. And then when I heard, and that's why so many people pick a guitar in the first place, right? Is to get the girl. Well, I didn't I didn't do it for that though. No, that's not why I did okay. it. No, it wasn't. That wasn't my motivation. That was just I just wanted to play rock and roll, and I just wanted to make a guitar, do what I heard other bands make a guitar do. And um, so the, and I used to, then I started taking it to school and then we used to rehearse in school underneath this room, underneath this art room, which was a, which was a ne- neglected part of the school. And it had, um, it was just like, I remember I came in first day, they said, here, you can have the master key to the school, but don't use it for any other doors. And we went, oh, <laughs> sure. Oh yeah. No, it was, it was the dumbest idea <laughs> to give us, it's like, oh, it'd be safe with Joel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The one guy you probably shouldn't give it to. Yeah. <laughs> Like okay, with all due respect. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, so I went, you know, got the key, went down this room. And there was a human feces, wow. a big steamer. Just you know when they're human as well, yeah. don't you? It just had the, that sort of smell yeah. and that look about it. <laughs> and I was like, you had to sort of jump over it to get to the door. And it was underneath the ground, this room. And it was just there was electrical wires hanging out of the room, out of the out of the, out of the roof. So like you know, you, you just wouldn't touch it because it would spark every yeah, now yeah. and then. So we were like, all right, we'll set the amps up over here and just duck your head, otherwise you might lose your head. Uh, I was struck by lightning. <laughs> Literally thunderstruck in the bottom of the school. Um, and then, so we used to bring all our amps and, and that to school. Ryan used to walk up to the senior campus, which was like about a, about a kilometre, well, not really a kilometre, about a half a K walk up. So he'd walk up there and we'd play at lunch times and then he'd walk back. And then, um, so that's how we sort of started rehearsing at school and that's how... Then it was really like I still have dreams, and I had one two, about two nights ago about homework I haven't done and, and something I've got to hand in because I didn't do all my homework in school. It's still haunting you. Yeah, it's still haunting me. Like I'm just, it's still, it's ridiculous. I'm still stuck in that yeah. mindset. And rock and roll comes with a price. You yeah, see. yep. I'm still stuck in that. It's all about rock and roll mindset. And um, yeah, so then you know we used to play under the school, and then. Um, um, and then we ended up we ended up getting this, so we got the master key. Uh, actually, a group of girls used to hang out the front of our at the front where we started playing. So I remember I remember thinking the first Airborne fans. Yeah, this was when we were like oh, year ten, you know, yeah, and um, year eleven, whatever. And um, so we uh, they said that we sounded good, so we thought, oh, that's that's pretty good. And we said, no, 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 we're still shit. We got to get way better. So we never let anything make us feel comfortable about anything. And that's still the way as well with you guys, you know. Yeah. I think that you, you're your own harshest critics. Mm. Like, I've seen you guys play the best set ever, and you'll come off disappointed with one element, you know. Yeah. No one else in the crowd knows, Being... because you want to deliver to yeah. the absolute best of your ability. Yeah. 
it's hard. Like sometimes you come off and you and you, t- t- it's hard to be still positive to someone who's just seen the show. And they're and like, that was the best show ever. And then you go, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah but I, I was out of breath here and I oh. stuffed up this and I stuffed up that. And um, so yeah, they gave anyway. They gave us the master key, so we ended up unlocking the gymnasium. <laughs> let about pretty much almost everyone in our year level in, all the all the maniacs anyway, and then and anyone else. And we ended up letting them all in. This was a lunchtime. And we got the high jump mats out, pulled them off the stage, and put them down onto the uh, onto the basketball court, and then stacked up the. Uh, it was a Catholic school, so we stacked up the uh, the. They had an altar, uh-huh. so we stacked up the altar, and then put. I think they had another altar or something, so we stacked up two altars, <laughs> and then made this sort of makeshift ladder out of other sort of high jump, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, gym equipment. So we climbed up the top of this 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 mega altar that we've built. And then just doing flips and jumping off it, and got the stereo going. And then we were just in there going mental, running around. And then, um, and then uh, our, uh, the teacher came in. Oh, he was my science teacher. I forget his name, but um, he used to make you write out the lines, lines mm-hmm. that says, "A sign of maturity is is a wait. A sign of maturity is to know when to stop." I used to write that line almost. You every, need to put that in a song. Yeah. <laughs> He, I had to write that line almost every week, yeah. and he go, "Give me, give me, you know, two hundred lines. Sign maturity to know when to stop." That's how I can remember the line, but not his name. Um, so the teacher's name. So then I, so that, yeah, we were doing jumps off the thing. and got the stereo going, and and then he comes in and goes, "What the bloody hell's going on here? Get out of here! I'm gonna kick your ass!" <laughs> and then everyone just runs, and we all running, and then like you know the <laughs> different directions. Yeah, <laughs> and I ended up, I ended up. Um, the smokers in the in the year level needed a place to smoke, so I unlocked an area for them to get in and smoke. So, yeah. again, it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off kind of shit. It's, though. Yeah, it's <laughs> Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and and that's that was kind of school. Anyone who said they didn't enjoy school, I mean, part of me feels sorry for them because I'm like, you know, I know for some people it can be hard to fit in, but anyone who says they didn't enjoy it, I'm like, school really is the most carefree years of your life, and if you if you're not enjoying school, then there's something wrong with you your headspace and your approach, yep. I think, because <clears throat> school's a DOS. <laughs> yep. Yep, basically, um, uh, school, I mean, I tried to do my best in in, in, when, in, in, all, in all the subjects I could. I tried to do my best and then... Well, I, you went to university, obviously, and so, you know, you weren't in that, what you call an academic failure. No, but I mean, I didn't get the best tour score either. Right. Um, I failed music. Like I was the worst in the class. Well, again, it just shows, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, quite miserably, and this was because um, we were judged at a, um, a prestigious university on our um, on our ability to read classical music and to play classical music. And I went there and said, "Look, I'm not going to play what you told me to play. I'm just going to play what I want to play." And it goes like this. And I. I just play yeah so they'd had all day you know they had like kids with it's all pianos and 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 fucking flutes and all that sort of thing kids that now aren't musicians or i'm not a musician but kids that didn't do what their course was designed to do or whatever it was and so i go in there with me me gibson sg and me marshall turn it all the way up (laughs) i had a drum machine that only played a 4-4 beat so i was and a bass on it, so dun, 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 dun. So I just set it to A, kick and snare, and then just cranked. I brought him my own PA, one man band. Yep, I brought him a PA and said, um, "I know you want me to play this thing, but um, I've 
this is this is how I think it goes. And I played a completely different song. I didn't even play. I just I made it up on the spot. I ad-libbed the whole the whole fucking thing. And it was just a, like a 12-bar blues thing into a this... I don't know. I can't remember what I did. I just went mental in there for 10 minutes, jumped on the tables, and just kicked over all their shit. And then, and then um, and they said, um, look... Um, and then I did some other tests where they... To you know, to, to pick the note you're hearing, is this an A or is this a B or a C? I failed all that. And then uh, they said, you know, and with with to, to read classical music, pick the notes and do all this sort of thing. And and I just I had I failed all those two things. And the curriculum, I basically failed the curriculum of it. And then but they said the third thing, and you're the only person who's ever done this, is you've got three A pluses in all the performance side. Nice. <laughs> so. So, I mean, I played the wrong thing, um, but... They just I, couldn't deny... Yeah, I put on a good show. ...what they were dealing with. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, at, least, at least they gave me that, so... Um, when, you start, when you first started getting your real taste of performing to an audience, yeah. did your love for performing match and equal your love of rock and roll? You're saying that you fell in love with music because you just wanted to create sounds, create that feeling yep. and inspire what you felt in other people. Yep. Once you got on stage and started actually doing it live, yep. did you then think, fuck, performing is amazing as well? Because some people love the music but are real shy and retiring types. Oh, okay. Um, well, it kind of gets back to being in school when I hadn't played in front of anyone and breaking into the, to the, you know, the announcement room where I'm playing rock and roll over this school's PA to every single classroom in, in, in the school <laughs> and all across the courtyard and yeah. all across the football oval and then turning it up and it's feeding back and it, like it's the same thing getting that exhilaration of sneaking in and my heart's beating out of my chest knowing that everyone's here and I'm sitting back going Whoa, this is great rocking out in, in the waiting for the teachers to come and haul me away um, so it, that feeling on stage is the same as breaking into that and doing that is breaking into people's minds when you play a show and tapping into that and getting out in front of them and playing. It's the same kind of thing. It's just I'm not doing it through the school PA. I've got my own PA. Just legitimate. And, and, and I'm in yeah. a band. Yeah, yeah. And it's and we're all about the same thing. We're all about rock and roll. And, and we just want to move people in the right way that elevates them above, you know, where, wherever that is that they are. How do you get on with the industry side of things? Because you strike me, well, you don't strike me, I know that you're a man of the people without being corny. You know, you're the guy who is at the show on mm -hmm. the night off. You know, if, if you're not playing, you're the guy in the crowd with everyone else. Yeah. And people, I think, see that in your band, and that's why there's such a connection, I think. Well, last night at Rock City, well, two nights ago at Rock City, um, before the show, the doors are just, were about to just open, literally, were about to open. So I went down and snuck out by merch and just waited for everyone to come in and just I know just talking to Dax our merch guy and I, I got I just comped myself a t-shirt this one I'm wearing actually the green skull because I wanted one you know the glow in the dark skull and then I was like I gotta get one of them they're cool and then it, the crowd started coming in you know I just was hanging out there and, and no one really noticed you know they didn't really care just kept walk, walking just wanted to get in the venue because I wanted to go out and, and see the people come in and then I wanted to walk in with them with my shirt and get the vibe like I was going to a gig, a rock and roll gig, and just walking in and hearing what people are saying and getting that vibe before the show, and then just that feeling is is something really special. And then I went downstairs and checked out the bottom room, the rescue rooms, their first show that we ever played at Rock City, which was I think it sold out, and uh, it was a very small little room down there. But just to get that vibe before the gig too, while all the people are coming in, and then to walk back up into the venue and sort of hang out, and no one really. 
No, no one came up and said, "Oh, get, oh, you Joel, can you can you sign this or can we get a picture?" No one asked me for anything because I just had my hat on, you know, I was just hanging out with my with my airborne merch on, <laughs> and um, so it's probably a perfect disguise. Yeah. But um, but it was good to get the vibe of the crowd as they came in, as as one of them, you know, coming into the show, going right, and then going, "Oh shit, I've got a gig to do," and then then you know went back and you know, start warming up and get ready for the gig. But it's things like that 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 are still still I love doing. And I, I do it. It's not. It's not the only show I do that at. I do it a lot. Well, when we were filming the documentary, and it's one of the scenes in the film which people will see when it, you know, is finally finished, yep. is the uh, clip in which you sat behind the drum set as, again as people are coming in, yep. and you're like, "This is my vantage point that I occasionally like to sit down here mm-hmm. and look out and you know see that people are excited, then yep. that makes me excited, and then yeah. and it's that kind of back and forth, isn't it? The transmission of yeah. energy. Yeah, because they're here for rock and roll. They're here to rock, and that's what we're here for. So as soon as you see other people that are like that, because remember in school I was a loner, and there's no one else that was there to rock. It was just me walking around with me, me, me walkman on, the only kid who wants to rock. So then when I see other people that want to rock, whether it's at one of our shows and they're here to rock with us, which is the best feeling in the world, or I go see Status Quo and there's people there wanting to rock, and I'm like, just random dudes in the crowd, you know? That's what it's like at a rock and roll gig. You see a dude with a cool, an older T-shirt on, you go, oh, man that's a sick t-shirt or how good's this gig you know like um or you know it's just rock and roll has this universal language and its ability with people that love that kind of music that just that there's no there's no real fights with rock and roll and there's no one like oh yeah i'll hold the door for you you know what i mean that they actually do they go oh yeah when you go and take a piss in the men's toilets dudes hold the door for you to walk in and you hold the door for the next bloke he's coming he's got a beer in his hand you know he's coming in like there's just that camaraderie camaraderie yeah. just little things you know that you see at a rock and roll gig that you don't really see at other other places and metalheads are like that too and same at metal gigs you know metalheads have the most fun in the world I've seen the uh, metal hammer post the other day about how metal uh, metalheads and rock and rollers actually have the most fun in the world in life in general I'm like yeah they do I mean I mean where else can you be in a circle pit you can't do that in your you can't do that in the uh, the, the the boardroom. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you get on with the boardroom situation? Because it is obviously a music business, and yeah. to keep it going, you have to deal with the managerial side, booking agents, promoters, yep. record labels, that whole dance, which is in many ways even more of a circus than rock and roll itself. Yep. And I know that you're very switched on in that way, and you take an active part in all of that how do you get on with that and how have you sort of learned to play that game over the years well you got to have a firewall you got to have a firewall that separates that world from the the, the wild crazy rock and roll world the, the, that's the animal that's, to keep that pure yeah kind of like new zealand you know this <laughs> <laughs> untouched you know a wild environment um so you, you can't let the business get into that and you can, you could destroy everything you've ever done by allowing that to happen. As soon as you start singing songs about your own band versus the industry, it's sort of you just lose it. You know what I mean? You, the point of rock and roll, whether you're playing it or you're going to a show, is to is to be. It's about you, the crowd, and 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 the bands. From day one, bands are there to entertain, and they're there to to help people turn the world off you know for however long it is and just turn themselves up to be who they want to be i've seen 
I've seen every kind of dude that you would not expect to be in the circle pit and crowd surfing. I've seen it, I reckon the dude was in his 50s, just going off his head, along with 18-year-olds around him, all doing the same thing, thinking it's the best shit ever, because there's this older bloke there, you know, just going mental as well. And it's not like there is an older bloke now. It's kind of like, you know, it's just rock and roll. There's no age either. It's this weird sort of universal language, this other world. And that's the jo- the band's point. you got to take him to that rock and roll universe where just that's all that exists is a good time. So with the business side, I just don't have, I don't I take my whole creative side and put a big firewall up and just deal with that when we need to deal with it. Cause it, and then with Ryan as well, you know, that's, it's, it's having, you know, having brothers like that to deal with that, we can actually help each other out a lot. So if, you know, if, if I'm feeling the strain of it, I'm like, man, I just, I just want to go and, you know, write a song. I can't talk about this business stuff for, for a bit. And he's like, yeah, no worries. Oh, I've got it anyway. I'll deal with it. Whether it's a whatever thing. Do you watch Sons of Anarchy? Yeah, I, I haven't finished it though, but I'm, I'm, I'm on like the second to last season. There's a lot, this seems like a random link, but there's a lot of thematical similarities in the sense that that show is about that brotherhood. You know, although they're committing crimes and not murdering people, it's yep. a different kind of thing. Yep. It's about that. This is a, a gang and we've got each other's backs no matter what. No matter what comes at us, yep. we'll deal with it. Well, Band of Brothers, the Tom Hanks series, is like that too. Yep. The World in the War II military war context, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the ways to think about think about um, like if you're starting a band out there, if you're like, oh, you know, I want to I want to play rock and roll, and I want to do this, I know it's going to be tough. I know it really is going to be a long way to the top, and you know, it's uh, it's never going to be easy. And don't do it to get the chicks, and don't do it to to make a shitload of money and don't do it to impress you, you know, whoever, whoever, just do it for yourself and do it for rock and roll. Um, you need to make sure the other guys in the band are on the same page. And it's, we're lucky like that. And it's kind of like if we were holding a four walled trench, like we're in the middle and we're being attacked from all sides, like the Alamo. And it's kind of that four sided front and we're being attacked from every side. So we know that, if one of us falls down, we're all going to get overrun. So when you see a dude who's struggling a bit, then you got to help him out. And uh, we do that in, in shows. Like there's, there's times when, fuck, I might have the flu or I might just be, we're doing a lot of shows in a row or something or, or whatever. And you just, you just, your, your vocal cords are completely knackered and you just, you got to get through this set and you still got to give them a show or you're just ill or whatever. You got gastro, um, you know, you're shitting your pants and you got to jump off the stage and, 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 and uh, get to the porcelain, what do they call it, the porcelain <laughs> monkey. Um, and then... Yeah, uh, it happens, kids. Yeah. And then, so there's, there's things like that that happen, you know, in the show. And, and you know, there's been times when I said, you know, you know, we just need to extend this song for a bit. I need to play an extra solo just because I need a breather because it might be a festival and we've run out into the crowd and we've come back, you know, and then onto the stage, like, and it's because it's a long way to get out there. And usually, when I get out there, if I see a if I see a wheelchair stand, I go straight to them as well because they always put them so far away from the gig that they kind of it's kind of pointless because they can't really see. They're further away than front of house. They should just build it into front of house so they get a good mix and a good vantage point. So then, if I see that, Adam's like, "Oh yeah, okay, yeah, we're going. Yep, yeah, all right, mate, we're going." So we go over there. We're like, "Hope the guitar wireless works." So we get there and we do that, and then we'll run back you know, the stage, and then I'll get back to stage, and I'll go, Ryan, oh, fuck, just keep going, man, just give me another, just give me another minute, I, I've got no air, <laughs> so, um, 
it's that kind of mentality that you got to have as a band. And, um, and you know, I'm not going to name any bands because I actually don't know any, but as soon as you start in introducing backing tapes into your rock and roll live show, you take away the ability to do things like that. And you take away the rock and roll wild element. The spontaneity, Most, the rawness, the honesty. Yeah. We, we do virtually the same set every night. Sometimes we switch out a song. And in uh, 2017, we'll probably be switching out more songs because there's that much more to pick from. But normally, you know, we, we run a similar, a similar set because we've got a time limit. So we need to do that. But we keep it loose to so it's never like, all right, bang, 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 bang. We extend parts. There's, there's parts of songs that jam out for longer because it's just the way we do it. Pardon me. Yeah. <laughs> and you've thrown in songs before. You know, I've seen you. I've been on the road with you when you have just sprung it on the band, and even the rest of the guys don't even know that you're, you know you're going to do it. Yeah, yeah, and, and things like that. So and that's that's part of the rock and roll element that that can get lost. That get, goes back to what you're saying about the business thing, right? Putting in um, putting in things like a restricted timeline like a, a backing track or a click you know if someone's on a click that means a whole band's got to be on a click and it sounds too much like a sounds too much like the record or it sounds just just too kind of safe when that happens it's kind of like that's the business side that's what a rock and roll business sounds like yeah is a backing tracked clicked version of a rock and roll show um the reason why you go see, well, the reason why you did go see Motorhead over and over again, and the reason why you go see ACDC over and over again, and, um, and status quo, and bands, and Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden is the perfect example, is because that is, it's wild. It's, it's raw. It's on the night. It's how it is. You're hearing the amps. You're hearing the band. You're hearing the sweat and everything that the band's got on the night. Now, they might fuck up a note here or there. Chuck Berry did that. You know, everyone did that. Humans do that, right? Humans do that's that. That's what makes us I human. fuck up something Flaws. every night. Yeah. Guarantee it. And, um, but that's what makes it rock and roll. And that's the point where you can... It's kind of like where it gets too perfect, too nice, too clean, too sterile. And that's what the, that's what the music business sounds like. So that's what... you got to have the big firewall up. You don't want to sound like that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You've been in the belly of the beast a couple of times with these huge stadium bands and you've seen it up close and personal. Let's yep. talk about the Stones, yep. uh, playing with them. What was that like, obviously, as a kid? You Funny. grew up aware of that, but then yep. to actually see it from the inside. To talk us through yep. that. It was just one show, right? It was one show. Yep. Talk us through that night. Yep. So, and this is, again, a real rock and roll band. That's There's no there's no tricks, no mirrors, no smoke. It's, it's Mick and Keith and, and Ronnie and Charlie doing what they do and um and finally that night they did stuff up I'll, I'll get to that in a minute um but it was it was genius though the way they brought it back um so yeah look we 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 got this gig you know we we had a demo that we recorded ourselves and we sent it off to be considered to play for the stones we were one of five bands and our sorry our, so this is pre-running wild even yeah this is wow. the reader rock cd which gets yeah, yeah. around on ebay now yeah um, and I haven't signed one in a while, but every now, you know, every now and then, in terms of years or, or mega months, I'll get a dude come up with an old ready to rock, and I'll sign it for him, you know. Um, but we were one of five bands, and we had our ready to rock CD that we recorded in at Hot House in Melbourne. Best fucking guitar tone in there, um, and we basically, uh, yeah, it, it got to Keith. He was that time when he, I think he, he broke his leg in Barbados or somewhere. He fell out of a coconut tree. Fell out of it? a coconut tree. So <laughs> he was in hospital, and um, I guess you know their manager, agent, or his whoever guy came in or girl came in with the band, the five band options, and played it to him, and he said that one. <laughs> For me, just to interject really quickly, knowing you so well and you know being friends with you now. The image of Keith Richards with his leg in a cast <laughs> yeah. in some Barbados hospital. Yeah. Hearing what would it have been? What would the tune have been? Probably it would have been "Ready to Rock." Ready it to would rock. have been the first song. Hearing that is just beautiful. And yeah. going, those guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those <laughs> guys. <laughs> they're ready to rock. We'll get there. Um, wow. Yep. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, so we um, we didn't we didn't know anything like we'd been considered for it or anything. We just got the callback saying, "Hey, um." you're going to get paid the most you've ever been paid in your life and um is this greg at this point he was representing you from yep from those greg as well? greg and it was yeah so he was out there obviously he's managing, fighting for you managing us at this time yeah and also um and then also uh um our agent in australia who is who's now scotty but originally it was gerard he now is the boss of that um that firm which is uh frontier touring um, but now Scotty does this, but that's like his right hand man. So it's right. the same, same. It's the same team as it is now. Great. Um, so yeah, rare as well. Yeah, rare. And um, they do we do Australia, New Zealand over here. It's the same team. It's X Ray Rad. You know, he does the same over here, Europe, as it has been since we first set foot on the ground in the UK. We've kept the same team the whole way. Um, so yeah, so we get the call back and we go right. Well, right. This is this is mega. You know, we're going to play Rod Laver Arena. I've seen ACDC play there twice. I've seen Bob Dylan twice in there. And I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe I'm actually going to play in this joint. You know, I come from Warnable. What's the capacity? So far away. It's like 16,000. Wow. 
and um, it was my first ever ACDC show I'd seen there. And I just couldn't believe I was breathing the same air as Angus Young. It took me half the gig to work out that, that to get over that fact. I was shocked. I was just shocked. Anyway, um, uh, and then I rocked out like a maniac. And then, so, yeah, we get this gig, and we go, right, well, we've seen enough videos of, of, of um, Iron Maiden and, and ACDC Metallica at Donington. Um, we need to get some more amps. So we hired every single amp we could virtually in Australia, every Marshall. We hit up, uh, they came from New South Wales, Queensland, uh, came from Northern <laughs> Territory. Uh, they might have even come from WA. And we got two full-size mega splitter vans full of um, all these Marshalls. Everything. And uh, we didn't even know to plug them in. Um, uh, we had never seen that many in yeah, our yeah, life. Yeah. So we hired them all in. Uh, we basically just burnt our entire fee on the hire for the gear. And then when we, we, we rocked up to the venue really early, you know, keen. Because they said, like, this is your load-in time. It's 9 a.m. So we got in. And um, and then the local loaders there were all wearing, like, you know, one had, like, a Kiss shirt on, like, Kiss local crew and ACDC local crew. And I thought that was really cool, like, just seeing that shirts like that. And then um, the, the, the chief loader... Like goes, all right, you support band A is yet right? So where's your where's your station wagon? And we went, oh no, nah. we we got we got this van here. And he goes, what do you need? What's in that van? <laughs> and then we went, oh no, this is not the only van. And then the other van comes in. <laughs> he goes, what? And he goes, <laughs> start pulling out. Like all these marshals come out, like a ridiculous amount. And then he um, and he goes. Oh, this is unbelievable. The last time we loaded this amount of marshals was for ACDC when they played here in bloody 2005. That's it, right? Yeah. Job done. Yeah. And we went, yeah. <laughs> like, that's what we were like. We were like, yeah. Well, yeah. That's what that's what you use, isn't that's it? That's how it should be. Yeah. So, <laughs> he was just like, he kind of, I think he just shook his head and laughed. Yeah. And then he goes, well, you better bloody help then. We, yeah, yeah, we'll help. So we, we got it all up on stage and... and um, and the core crew, you know, the the, the uh, stage manager for for the Stones, he said, "Look, guys, um, you got a lot of gear here, and um, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you no because I think it's funny and you know it's great, whatever. It's all rock and roll, but just don't don't go backstage, don't go here, don't touch this." And we were like, "Yeah, no, no, worries. it's it's your house, mate. We've taken our shoes off at the door. Like we respect, and we just I can so happy to be here, and that you let us have all this shit up here." And they were, you know, we got it all up, loaded up on stage, and, and um, I've never lift that many marshals in one day in my life. And um, <laughs> so we got them all up, and then we plugged them all in with Boss tuner pedals and whatever else we could find. So it was this humongous buzz. Um, I think, yeah, I don't know how we got rid of that. Oh yeah, so we snapped all the earth pins off all the off all the uh, off all the ca- off all the power cables. Which is illegal. You shouldn't do that because it's basically that's just it's live wire. Right? Live wire. Yeah. So that was the only way to get rid of the hum. So we went along with um, a pair of pliers and snapped all the earth pins off about um, sixteen or whatever it was uh, uh, power heads, and then um, plugged them all back in. The hum went away, and it was just kind of like just don't drink near your amps and spill anything. So. <laughs> So anyway, we did that, and then this was not, you know, we had nothing to do. So we actually brought our swags. Now, a swag is a sleeping bag with a mattress in it. It's, a, it's an Australian bush sleeping thing. It's basically a one-man tent. Right. 
and we set them up in our band room. They they gave us a band room. We were like, wow, we've got a band room. We've never had a band room before. And then, um, so we... Because you got on site so early, right? Yeah. You wanted a nap before you played. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've been up, you know, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we, we, we like, stay what, up late. four or five a.m. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so we set up our... They gave us this huge function room. We were so big. And then we are like, we used to band rooms that are, that's the toilet, you know? Yeah. The public Literally, toilet. Yeah. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so we set up our Australian bush swags. I'm just trying to explain it like that no, so no, people get the idea. It's perfect. We get four swags on the floor and we have a, we have a nap. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> we're all about naps. No right? hookers and blow. No, just... no, no. Just just naps. And, but again, um, it goes back to that same thing from day one of yeah. wanting to we do wanted the to be best rested for the job gig. You could, yeah. The best the best gig we could. We never played on a stage this big or a show this big or with and a band. You, knew you might never again, right? Yeah. That's the other thing is. Yep. There's yeah. no record deal on the table at that time, mm-hmm. right? So it was no record deal, yeah. no, no nothing. And um, so I remember, you know, I remember waking up, going, "Oh shit, did we miss stage time?" <laughs> and I'd only, it was, it was fine. I was like three in the afternoon or something, yeah, yeah. four in the afternoon. And I'd never seen catering in my life. And I remember I, wa- I walked through this. I heard these people, a lot of people, you know, and I opened up the sliding door. A big sliding curtain thing, and I walked in, and there was just there was just tables and tables of hot food, cold food. I think there was like an ice thing, you know, like a <laughs> uh, what do you call it, an ice sculpture. And wow. Yeah, like it was full on, and I remember going, "What the hell is this?" And then I remember I just said, I said to someone, "Hey, I'm I'm really hungry. Do, do you think I could have some?" Some food. Go, yeah, yeah. You got your you got your pass. You, he goes, British, all yeah. British. You got your pass. And then I was like, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, great. So I had um, there was lots of American food. Well, I didn't know it was American food till later. But I didn't know what Ore- uh, Oreos were or or Cheetos and all these things. And and I just I just had a bit of this and a bit of that. And I was like, wow, you know, this is great. I I think I only really had some biscuits and some cereal. I just was too nervous to go near the all the all the the good stuff. And then, um, so then, yeah, uh, that was my first experience of real live catering. And then before the show, um, at this point, how nervous are you? Um, nervous, nervous, but just aggressing, aggressively wanting to do the best kind of nerves had gone to the point where it was just, I was really anxious really like a like a dog that's been starved and hungry was, yeah, yeah really hungry yeah nervous as well but two conflicting things to to you know one going against the other sort of cancels the other out and then and then it was uh so yeah did catering went for a walk and then i ended up walking through where where the stones dressing room wing was and uh, i walked through this um around this corner and it said something, oh, I can't remember what it said on a sign. It was like some name for a pub or a club or something. And black curtains. And I opened up these curtains and there was like some sort of music playing. And there was like sort of like some really vibey lights and lamps and fairy light things. And just and another curtain. I went through another curtain around a corner and another curtain. And I peer through this curtain and there's a full pool table. There's like, must have been a pinball machine. There was a jukebox. And all this other stuff, it was like, and there, and it was, it was uh, Ronnie Wood and Keith Richards playing pool. Wow! And I'm looking through the curtain, just, oh my god! And I'm going, 
if one of them sees me, they're going to stab me or something. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. Like, I'm just so nervous. Because you weren't meant to be in there, right? No, and it's, it's, it's a rock and roll. Like, like, thinking, I have to. I thinking, have to look. Yeah, thinking back, they might have said, oh, fancy game of pool. Yeah. They probably would have invited me in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, you know, they're such humble and awesome blokes. And I just, as a kid, growing up listening to the Rolling Stones and then seeing them play pool and having a laugh. Keith had a... Um, well, I, th- I guess I thought it was orange juice at the time, but it was it's obviously a vodka and orange juice when I think back. And I can't remember what Ronnie was drinking. He might have been having a beer or wine or something. But they were both just like laughing, hanging out like they were in a pub. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So then I, I, I walked back to our band room and go, oh, I can't believe what I've just seen, you know. And this is real. They're here. We're playing with the Stones. Like it hadn't hit me. Mm-hmm. That's probably why I wasn't nervous. Because your mind's on a million things. Yeah. Yeah. And then anyway, we, we get up and we, we do the gig. We get up, we get the amps on, we go we go charging out there and we open, we stand up for rock and roll and, you know, it's rough and ready, it's loud and it's, it's mental. And I remember how big the stadium was, this big black hole. And then when the lights come on, you see the people and when it goes off, you sort of can't really see them. And then um, I remember thinking, is there anyone out there? And then the lights came on after the first song and everyone was in there clapping and I was like, oh, wow. I can't believe we're sort of winning them over. So, um, and then we did the gig and then... We played our asses off and just played as hard as we could and, and just gave them the best show we could. And we came off on time. And the, the same crew that, you know, that said, you know, get, get you know, put your stuff up on stage, don't break anything, don't touch anything, just, you know, this is where you... Who are these chances? Yeah. That's their initial impression, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. And so we come off walking down the steps. I remember walking down these steps and it was just a big fluorescent light lit backstage loading dock with all the Rolling Stones crew that were there clapping saying best fucking band to support the Stones in 15 years lads that's fucking great don't worry about your amps we got it <laughs> they unloaded the whole wow. stage for us and then the, the, the chief guitar tech <laughs> Keith's guitar tech said you with no shirt come here mate no shirt on yep. amazing the same one that said to me he said something about you know just watch out for this you know don't you know, don't go here or just my yeah. guitar world sort of thing. Yeah. And he said, come here, mate. You've earned it. He just sticks Keith's, t- Keith's tally on round my shoulders and sticks it on you. You have a play of that one. And I was like, fuck, I still get, I still get goosebumps now. Like he gave, I was froze up. I could barely muster an A chord and a few little <laughs> blues notes. I was just so nervous. It was the Keith tally that you see on all the magazines that he, that you see when he, the one that's beat to hell. And he had like, just, just rows of them, banks of these guitars. And basically, so then I, I played the guitar and then and I gave it back to him. He said, hey, mate, you guys are bloody great. Anytime you want to come play with us, you know. So we knew that we'd, we'd, um, we'd done a good job and that's all we cared about doing was the fact that we won the crowd over and we won over their crew. And these guys have seen every fucking band come through in anywhere in the world, every fucking ego you could ever imagine, any story that they would have seen. And they... And that would be straight shooters because I know, I know now what what real road crew are like. That's what what we have. You know, they're straight shooters. If you're shit, they'll tell you. Yeah. They'll make you unload your own shit. But the fact that the Rolling Stones crew said, "Don't worry about all your fucking marshals. We'll we'll deal with it." And then um, afterwards, we met the Rolling Stones. They came out. Uh, they said, "All right, lads, just wait here." And then out comes Keith. Out comes Mick. Out comes Charlie. Out comes Ronnie. And we got a photo with them. And then it was like 30 seconds later, the Stones go on stage and can't get no satisfaction. And I had no shirt on. And um, and even Mick said, oh, I did, 
I, I didn't know you. I didn't know you didn't have a shirt. Oh, I've got hundreds and thousands of them back there. I've got green <laughs> ones, red ones. They're all silk or different kinds. Oh, do you want one of my shirts? And I was like, oh, yeah, I would love one, you know. And then, um, um, Tell and me you got one. No. Oh no. man, why not? No. Well, because I had to go on stage. Right, right, right. So right, literally, right. it was like, um, and then and Keith <laughs> grabbed my guitar. And he said, "What sort of guitar is that?" So after, after I've been given Keith's guitar, you know, He's just a few moments before, yours. I'm played it. He's grabbed my guitar out of my hands and said, what sort of guitar is that? And how to look at it, you know, and, and a bit of a play and then go on, oh yeah, it's a good one. And then he gives it back to me and then we get the photo and I got the, I got the photo somewhere on my phone. And, um, and then 30 seconds later, after meeting the Rolling Stones, dun, 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 and they fucking nailed it. And then, yeah, so... Um, That's got to be one of the best moments in your life, right then, right? The minute they go on in those chords. Yeah. You're talking about moments of realisation. Obviously, your first one is when you peek through the curtain. Mm. And then the payoff is after the gig goes well. Everything in the fucking world is just yep. beautiful and the stars align. Yep. And then they go on, bump, bump. Yep. That's when you surely turn to your comrades, right? And be like, wow. Yeah. And to be honest, it's still, it's still hitting me that all that happened. Because after that, you know, we supported, we've supported a lot of bands and we've been around the whole world. But that was our initial first popping of our cherry of supporting a real deal band. And I still think about it, you know, a lot. So it's, um, I'm glad I remembered the bit about peeking through the curtain and the, um, the pool table because I don't, I've been asked this before and I forgot that bit. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it's just, you just, things like that, you don't, doesn't, doesn't leave you. And, you know, they were the nicest guys in the whole world, gentlemen. And they were kind of like 18-year-olds too, still, you know, laughing and, and drinking vodka and oranges and, and, and having <laughs> a good time. Shooting pool like yeah. an hour before they go on yeah. and play in front of 16,000 people. Yep. That care in the world. Yep. And then Keith thanked us on stage. Did he really? He thanked wow. us. Something about give a hand to your to your own Melbournians. Give a, give a, give a, give a clap for Airborne or something. And then it was like, wow, that was, you know, and then... You could have retired then, right? You as the rock and roll fan, as the kid, you wanted to, you know, be the duck walking. No, it made me more hungry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the moment, right? Then yeah. That was when you were like, tell me, I mean, we're sort of low on time. I could talk to you all day, dude. Um, you once told me a, an anecdote about how when you got signed to Capital for the first album, it was kind of like at the end of the ex, kind of, you know, extravagant era of rock and roll and music, yep. the, when the music industry was at the height of its power. Yep. You said it was like the scene in Indiana Jones when yep. he dives under the stone wall that's coming down and yep. he drops his hat and his arm reaches out and he quickly grabs his hat. He and just put, and that moment there was that moment that you guys sort of got to peek in and see that inside m- of that. Tell me about how you came to be signed to that label, uh, the experience of yep. putting the ink to the paper. Yep. And- so segueing out of the Rolling Stones... Uh, we then went on tour in Australia and we started playing more and more and I guess that gig with the Stones helped us a lot right? because a label interest happened not long after that and then um, we had we our management who was very who, who, who uh, had a very good plan for us managed to incite a bidding war between the biggest labels in the world you know you've got to think that you know in Australia so you know it's a long way away so all these big, you know, New York and Los Angeles labels all getting excited and wanting to get out to Australia before 
before we signed a world deal with Australian Labor, which we weren't, weren't ever going to do. We always keep it ter- that, that separate. So we basically, that's what our manager did. So we just, all we did was just go play the shows and, and play, play, play. Then eventually, they started to fly out. So, and, and uh, the one we ended up signing to, he flew to Sydney and went to drive to Sydney uh, from Melbourne, which was a 12-hour drive in our piece of shit van <laughs> and, and station wagon. So we, um, we drove up and we broke down in a town called Holsbrook. And that's, it's, it's claim to fame is there's a submarine there. Um, I don't know why it's in the middle of Australia. I don't know how wow. it got there. I guess <laughs> no, what, what, someone you'd had probably find out if you look. But yeah. someone had grand plans for their lake, and then it, the lake was drained, um, a drought or something. And then there's this big dumb submarine there. Anyway, that's what I remember sitting there going, this "Fucking submarine!" So we broke down in Holbrook, just 15, 15 minutes drive out, and we're like, "Shit, we've got this gig, you know, in Sydney. This big time record dude is flying out, you know, to see the show." And he's, he's, you know, we're going on stage at this time. He's going to be there. We can't be late because he's got to fly back at some, you know. And then we're like, so the the guy from the NRA, I think it was NRA, NRMA, the because uh, in, in Victoria it's the RACV, so it's the other one. So and he comes along and he eventually he go, I go, mate, our motor's fucked. We think it's the fan belt because I've pulled it. We've had a look, pulled it off, and it's because it's all broken. So it's just our fan belt. Do you have a spare one in 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 the um in the truck? And he goes, no, but I'll tow you back. And I went, right. You can't just drive back, get one, and come back and go. Nah. I went, okay. Well, just because we've got to get, he go, I don't care. And I went, right. Um, we're at the full on country Victoria here. Holbrook yeah. is a population of probably about a hundred people. So we Do you go- keep you cool at this point. Are you like okay, mate? Yeah, no, you... well, yeah, you got to keep you cool because guys like this you just fucking turn around. He just it. go, mate. I'll just go to the pub. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> so we tow back to to Holbrook and we go and go in there and we go. All right, we finally get back there. You know, the sun's setting now. We've got to get to Sydney. Like fuck, man, we've got to move. So then he, he goes, he goes. All right, we go in the shop. We, all right, well, can we get the fan belt? Oh, is this the one? I'm, I'm like, I'm going in there doing it for him. Going right. I found two fan belts hanging on your wall here. I've done the work for you. Is when any of these going to fit? And he goes, Yeah, they might. I go, Oh well, can we can we put it on? I don't know. You know, I don't know how to put it on. He goes, Nah, I've got to have my sandwich first. I'll do it in an hour. I said, Dude, fifty bucks. It's all I got. It's gonna. It was supposed to pay for our dinner tonight to get us and and the fuel. I'll just fucking, we'll all piss in the tank to get there. Can you accept 50 bucks and just put the fan belt on? He goes, nah, got to have me sandwich. Oh Can't God. buy me. Can't win. I went, bloody hell. So then, oh so then I'm just standing there all going, what the fuck? Do we just go bash him and then just force him to do it? Like, what do we do with this dude? And then, um, and he's sitting, and we go out the back to go have a word with him. He's sitting with all these other big tow truck mates, you know, and then we're going, oh, we're fucked. Yeah. You know, there's like 10 of them. And then we're like, oh, we'll just wait. And then I just, and we just said, he finished his sandwich. And then, weird, he finishes his sandwich and he goes, right, let's, I'll, uh, I'll put that fan belt on for you now. He was just very working class and he has to have his working break. You know what I mean? Like, Habitual. So, yeah, yeah. So we yeah. were just like, oh, we can respect that, you know? Yeah. So then we just, he put the fan belt on and he sent us on our way. And then we said, good luck for the gig. And then, <laughs> bipolar. At least you save 50 bucks. Yeah, <laughs> save 50 bucks. Yeah. And then, so we got to the gig. By this point, you stressed out. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're like yeah. breaking the speed limit to get yeah, there. Go, yeah, look, yeah. we get pulled over by the cops. We just cop the fine, send it to management, see, yeah. what, see what happens. We hightail to Sydney. We finally get there, and it's a load in off of a busy street, up two flights of stairs. 
we're running Marshalls up these stairs and um, the band that was on before us has gone on, so they're on. So we haven't even now been able to load our shit up on there yet. So it was literally, we're loading up through the crowd now and we got it all up on there and then we just fucking 15, one, two, three, four, sound for rock and roll, we go in. And the best part about this story, and this is another Indiana Jones under the hat, the record label guy wasn't there for any of this shit. He, he, he was jet-lagged, so he walks in at the end of the last song as the crowd is all screaming and clapping because we've just hit him with stand-up for rock and roll and given him a big opener. And um, as he's walked into a room and he's come up from the stairs, heard people screaming and the sound, and then the, hey, the big crowd, and he's just been hit by this wave of in, in, um, enthusiastic and ecstatic hysteria, Australian, almost, hysteria right? Australian yeah. you know, crowd, and he's gone, yep, I'm totally signing this. Straight in. Has not seen... The Indiana Jones under the hat to get us there. Yeah, we got there by the skin of our teeth. So him getting there late was a good thing. And then, so we signed with Capitol Records that night, then and there. Not that night, then and there. No, he went home and they talked up a deal. Right. And then, um, and we worked. Tell it me out. about the signing day. Was that a big party? Big celebration? We we didn't. Oh, not that, so much. That didn't really come until we went to to LA. Right. We had it in. Um, we we signed it at the lawyer's office in Melbourne. I think we had a few drinks, but it wasn't anything mega because... It wasn't like you pushed a limo off a cliff or anything like that. No, because we were like, all right, well, we've got to deliver the album. We've got to deliver the songs. We've got to do this. We were still too I remember you saying, actually, you didn't even have any songs, right? Aside from the EP, which they said you can't have anything off that on the album. So you signed, but you had no material. None. Yeah. So then it was kind of like, all right, we've done this. Panic sets in, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to make it work. So... And then we went to we went to Los Angeles to meet the label, to meet everyone, and then we did another showcase for them, uh, for the for the head of the label, who's now, who who is when the whole thing went down was taken out of the building in handcuffs. There was, there was like they had a bunch of hip hop guys on their label that weren't too impressed about them getting cut from the whole capital thing. When everything went to hell, almost every band was taken off the label was you know told was let go. So they got guys shooting up his house. With like full on like drive bys straight up wow yeah. so um <laughs> so, yeah so but anyway so we did the showcase and that and then um he goes yeah sounds like ACDC I went dude you signed us what you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes no nah, it's cool man yeah yeah and then like fucking hell you know record execs so again you've had that lazy comparison since day one as well yeah but he was a classic record executive right like the the classic um like the the one that you think a of a spinster yeah, yeah, like a real. He was. Um, he didn't know what he was doing, and yeah. he even said, "Maybe I should produce the record." And we we're like, "No, <laughs> no, mate." Um, but uh, you know, he signed us, yeah. so I, I don't have. I can't talk too much things about him. Yeah, yeah. It's just classic, though. We're the young rock and roll band, and he's the record exec, playing our classic roles as you would think. So basically, yeah, we signed to them, and then and then that's when we had a big drink. That's when we had the big night in. Los Angeles went to the Rainbow, and we went to fucking everywhere. We went down to Santa Monica, bought some guitars, the Explorers, the Explorers that we're using now. Um, we bought them, went back to the hotel room. We were at the Hilton, uh, not the Hilton. We were at the Roosevelt, sorry, legendary place. Um, uh, yeah, we had like just a, a big mega, big mega party, and it was just out of control. I remember waking up in the morning. Vomit all over the room. We had a bunch of the label in there, just like playing the guitars. And there was the, I met Paulie Shaw at the pool. Did you really? I love that guy. Yeah, Paulie Shaw was at the pool. California man, Fire um, Dome. 
<laughs> the, yeah, the, there was the Roosevelt at the time was the hottest club bar downstairs, and, and the Paris Hilton and, and all. Remember that mob that was around in those times? And Nicole Richie and Paris Hilton, yeah. All, all that was going on yeah. down there, the paparazzi, and we were just up in our room getting pissed, and <laughs> you know, so it was full on mega era of just all that sort of shit and there was like drugs going around we didn't really touch any of that sort of stuff we were just only kept to the piss because we were like look nah we, we, we don't need to have that yeah um, I've never really seen you indulge in that side of it no nah, it, it fucks head. up my mind too much so I just stay off it I just don't bother it's like yep yeah, thanks but no thanks mate um, so assumedly you've never lost your head in that sense because the classic story of young band isn't the way most of their stories go is they get signed, they make it big, yeah. they fuck it up, they just ruin themselves. You need to get going. No. Um, uh, we're just getting really close. We'll go for another 10 minutes and we're fine. Cool. Um, you've, you've never lost your way in that sense, it strikes me as... No, never. Never from day one. And even even when we're signing this big capital records, the most iconic record label building there is on the earth, it got knocked down in that movie, Independence Day, or one of those films... Where the wave comes in, yeah. um, you know. Um, so basically, yeah, we, we were surrounded by all that sort of hype, like, but we didn't feel it. We still got our old, old crappy jeans on, our just you know the same shit that we always wear. We didn't go out and spend a ton of money on on stuff. We just put it all back into the band and just put it all back into to playing. But drugs and things like you know, getting and celebrity in, friends and yeah, that whole getting into that vortex, right? Yeah, like. Peer pressure is something I've never suffered from. Like, in school, I didn't have any peers. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up without peers. So, when someone says, oh, man, do some drugs, man, do some drugs. Come on, do, do some... Oh, come on, let's have a few rails. You know, let's do some coke. Come on, man, you're supposed to be a rock and roller. Don't be a pussy. Come on, I go, no. I've got a job to do tomorrow, mate. I don't want to sit up all night um, doing rails with you. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll, I'll happily go to my room and drink a bottle of scotch because I, I can handle that. My, I can handle that. Yeah. Doing that is is not is it's just it opens up. It's okay for one night. Have a bit of a dabble, but don't let it become your life. Yeah. Because then you're just going to destroy yourself and and the people around you. So yeah. You got to you got to be like that. But but when I get a night off, it's just I just love to hell bent hell bent for <laughs> hell bent for rock and roll hell bent for scotch. Like I just get into it and have a good time, but I make sure I'm good to go if we're playing the next day. But, um, yeah, so we're surrounded by all this hype. Didn't get in touch with it because we all said to each other, too, it's like, look, this is where no one told us this. We just we know that this is the shit that can kill a band. So if you're offered it, do what you want to do, but don't fucking get hooked. On, you know, none of us. And none of us did. Yeah. None of us did. So, um, and none of us do. It's just, it is whatever. It's for, for, you know, um, other people want to do that. It's great. Um, but, you know, we, we're boozers. We're classic boozers. And um, and that's and yeah, that's quite a bit. So where we did the whole capital thing, and then literally we recorded the album, and they locked us in a in a, in a storage facility for like it was like three months. Came up with the album, Bob Mullet, who did our last record we just did, saved our asses and really helped us. And um, and we got the album done. We and then as soon as it was mixed and mastered, we were ready to go. Then capital fell to pieces. Bought out by a virgin, I believe. And then, fuck, almost every band but five, I think, was let go from the label. It was a disaster. Then we were back overseas, going to South by Southwest to win a new label. Got on Roadrunner. It was great. Great home to be in. Very similar to Spine Farm now that Roadrunner was. Um, and then that where we are now. So, yeah, Indiana Jones, it was just... 
we just got through that door and seen a glimpse of what it could be like, like at the Roosevelt, and then when we, and when the label takes you out for dinners and just all this sort of stuff, and it kind of go, you look at it now, it's laughable because they spent more money on it on a dinner on a, or accommodation that they did back then than they would on an entire album marketing campaign. Which ultimately, surely, is the reason why. I mean, you can blame streaming services, and that is a big part. That has devalued music a lot. But ultimately, if you're going to piss away so much money, yep. then it's going to come back around, right? And it's going to fall apart. Yep. You and look at the stock market, and you know, you look at the economy, and you look at it in that way. Yep. yep. And if you're just there burning money, yep. then your house is going to crumble, isn't it? Yep. And that's, you know, so to see what it was like, it's laughable now. But, but a good time. Mm. A good time and a good thing to see, to appreciate, you know, what it was and what it is now and sort of learn from the whole thing and then um, and have a yarn to tell. Yeah. Well, listen, dude, that was amazing. Uh, we've pretty much got up to the point where you got signed. Yep. So we maybe should do in another six months to a year. Yep. Part two. Yeah, we'll do part two. The rest of the story. This um, is like Lethal Weapon 1. Well, <laughs> the, lethal we- the Lethal Weapon or whatever it is. And then we'll do, um, no, this is Die Hard. Right. Then we'll do Die Harder. I like that. Yep. Put it there. Thanks Put it there. so much for your time, dude. Always an absolute joy. Thank Cheers, you. mate. Always, always. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.